0: This episode of Beyond the Bottom Line is brought to you by the Program on Entrepreneurship at the Yale School of Management, where we're educating students for business and society. Welcome to this week's edition of Beyond the Bottom Line. We are excited to have with us in the studio today Maribel Lieberman, who is the founder of Marie Bell Chocolates in New York City, um, as well as a couple of other places now. Uh, Maribel, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so delighted to have you here. So I would love to kind of back up a little bit and talk about your early days, maybe back in Honduras, and a little bit about your first entrepreneurial ventures when you were eight years old. Oh,
1: my God. Yeah. You know, I come from my um, family of eight kids. I'm the youngest one. And and my mother was a seamstress. She was always working. And um, I think I learned from my uh, siblings, my older siblings, uh, that you know, we are always very independent. So by the time I grew up in the farm, by the time I was uh, in school, so some of my older siblings were already abroad studying. So um, so I started my little business of making caramels and uh, and I started selling in school and at the age of 9 I I bought a pair of shoes with my own money on my own savings so I was very proud of that that's
0: excellent so you went to high school in Honduras and
1: you decided
0: to embark to New York City and enrolled at Parsons and fashion and graduated and went off into the fashion world I would love to hear a little bit about that decision and then a little bit about kind of what your work in, how your work in the fashion industry informed some of the work that you're doing now with the company.
1: Well, it's sort of like a long story how I came to America, what made me come to America at the age of almost, I was 17 turning 18. Uh, But there were some decisions that were made that, um, since I was always an entrepreneur and I always, I, I, was the, I think I was the only child in my family that I, during vacation I would, I would go to work because I wanted to make my own money. And my mother saw a lot of independence in, in me and something that she was not used to seeing in my other uh, siblings. So when, I, when it came time to go to high school, you either go to high school to go to the university or, or uh, do something like uh, something that you're, you don't have to go uh, uh, like an associate degree. So at that time, I wanted to to go for architecture, and my mother said, "You know, we, we don't have architecture school here, and uh, in Honduras. So for you to do that, you need to really uh, have a backup because I don't know about you, if you're going to stand four or five years in 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 school and then." don 't want to start already your business or working for somebody making your your money so anyway, she decided that I, I would do go to high school but also do a minor in in uh, secretarial. And that was actually the one of the errors, but became a, a positive later. Um, I was not good in uh, typing and, and shorthand, and I failed the year, and this is how I made my way Small up. Small failures <laughs> help us grow as human exactly,
0: beings. Exactly, yes,
1: exactly. And that's how I came here. I learned English. I went back to Honduras. But once I had tasted the, the independence here, I wanted to come back, and, uh, and that's how I came back to New York. So you enrolled at Parsons. So what happened, I didn't have all the money to... Uh, Parsons was not part of the new school then. was more affordable then. And uh, and I wanted to go to actually FIT because it was less expensive, but FIT would not allow me to have a student visa and, and then work. So I had to put, had the full, um, you know, sco- uh, school and then maybe a part-time uh, you know, do, uh, doing some work, and I wanted the other way around. So, so anyway, that's how I, I ended up going to Parsons. It was a lot smaller school then, and I took uh, credits as as I could as I could, and so I I worked during the day. And I worked for a Jap- Japanese company in um, yeah, Shiseido Cosmetics. And then I was going to to school at nighttime. And that's how I I ended up getting my degree in fashion. So when you were at Shiseido, were you working at all on packaging? Because part
0: of your brand now is just this incredible, beautiful I, packaging.
1: You know, for seven years I worked there. And uh, for me, has been my my school. Of life, it's uh, uh, not only for the presentation, but also the marketing. I learned so much from them, and you know, and and that's how I fell in love. I still use Shiseido nowadays. You know, it's uh, that's how they uh, it's more about um, you know the presentation to the customer, and and then you start loving the brand. You know. Uh, uh, so, so that to me is like, oh my God, this is they they're using the psychology of the of the people, and then create something that the people are going to receive, a welcome and hold with your hands, and uh, uh, you know. Uh, so, so it was a synergy between the product and the people, and that I learned from Shiseido.
0: So, you opened your for- first store, Lunette Chocolate. Yes. Uh, in Nolito in 2000. Can you explain this decision to do both eyeglasses <laughs> and chocolate?
1: Well, actually, uh, the whole idea was because we, me and my friend, my friend is a eyeglass designer Selima Salon. And she's uh, the founder of uh, Selima Optic. Um, we wanted to open store in. I couldn't afford the full rent, and she couldn't afford the full rent, and that's how we decided to make it like one store, but uh, uh, it was actually two different stores. Okay.
0: So in 2000, you opened that store. You're in New York City in one of the toughest real estate markets in the world. Yes. And you decide a year later to open a flagship store in Soho, which is one of the toughest markets in the toughest real estate market in the world. Talk a little bit about how you were able to find the spot, how you were able to fund the opening of the spot,
1: um, and why Soho. Well, I live in Soho. And um, why so soon was because I I was pushed to it. Uh, After September 11, 2001, all the businesses in in Nolita and Soho were suffering, but more so in Nolita. As a result of the September 11, lots of businesses went out of uh, close, and there were lots of spaces uh, for rent. Uh, and of course, I was not willing to to sign a lease for um, for you know I I couldn't afford all this rent. But but chocolate is very seasonal, and December is actually one of the highest months of uh, of you know for the sale of chocolate. So. I took that space where Marybelle is as a pop up shop, actually, you know. One of the original <laughs> pop ups. Before pop ups became exactly, so popular. Exactly. So, so um, I didn't have the, um, I wasn't going to go and buy furniture, but uh, because it was just going to be for a month. So I, I borrowed some furniture from, um, from my next door neighbor, who had an antique uh, store, and uh, I promised them I was going to sell the furniture for them. So anyway, that's, so that's how <laughs> I started that, uh, that. That just because I needed to sell more product because Nolita was not really selling because of not many tourists were coming to Nolita, but they were they were coming more to Soho.
0: So you continue to have that storefront, so and it's
1: evolved. Uh, so since day one. My customers started coming since day one, and of course it was it was a big space for chocolate. It was too big, but then I put some rugs, which is from my next door neighbor, some lots of furniture that I, I didn't need to, but I, I put merchandise in, and it it did very well. So then I decided to extend it to a Valentine's, and so I stayed to Valentine's, and after Valentine's I said, "I there's no way I can afford this rent. The only way I can do it is if I do wholesale. Um, anyway, that led to what is wholesale and how to price everything. And luckily, one of the uh, the, the main buyer of uh, uh, Nima Marcos and Burgdos went into my store when I was already thinking that to do wholesale, and they asked me if I do wholesale, and I said yes. <laughs> I do. And they, they were actually my first uh, customers. So you've got the store. Talk a little bit about that transition
0: to wholesale and what were some of the things that were unexpected that came up? Um, and at this point, you already, how many products do you have that you've developed for the store?
1: Um, the wholesale came in 2002. Uh, uh, th- uh, September 11 was 2001. So 2002. Um, I have no idea about um all the coatings you know all these uh, you know uh, the um all the coatings that I needed to have for per product uh but actually Nima Marcus taught me a lot you know because they wanted my product and uh and so, so they taught me that you know, this is what we need. and the the pricing I had no idea. I just cut the price in half from the from the retail. And of course, you know, in my previous conference just today, I said, you know, this is something that you need to be very careful because your margins are smaller. You need to be careful that everything is covered. Uh, so anyway, but from the errors, you learn, like uh, like I said, then uh, we, I, I sent my first order in, in uh, October or November. And uh, that same year, I was my hot chocolate was featured at the Oprah's Favorites uh, in, in the year 2002. So it came like they couldn't even, they sell out like every week and it was perfect timing.
0: So talk to me a little bit about at that point did you have the production facility set up in Brooklyn or no
1: No no I actually was making my hot chocolate in the basement and the ganache uh the bonbons were we were still making it in France I started my production in in uh, in the south of France in Biarritz uh the Bayonne area It's a terrible place to have to go visit a factory I, I know <laughs>
0: Absolutely
1: Terrible. horrible. <laughs> uh, but when uh, what happened when the uh, franc became euro, then the product really went up, and I, I said, okay, the, the, I have to find a way to to manufacture. And at that time, there weren't too many, so many manufacturers of small manufacturers of of chocolate, and so in two thousand four. I um, I bought some equipment from Belgium and and I I rented a space near the store in on in Sixth Avenue and uh, I started my my production of only the ganache there, and then I still was uh, uh, making my hot chocolate in the basement. So I only had two products to sell then.
0: <laughs> so you have Oprah featuring your product, you have product flying off the shelves and perhaps running out of product. Yeah. Many sleepless nights, I assume, making chocolate. Well, (laughs) when
1: uh, when the hot chocolate uh, was featured, Uh, I mean, it was a good nightmare, but (laughs) very nightmare, you know. Uh, First of all, my my tins, I had decided I have launched that year with uh, my design of the of the packaging, and the um, the lid was not really. tight enough yes. and it was, there were a lot of explosions flying over everywhere <laughs> so that was a nightmare then then my my website my early website in, that i launched in just before the Oprah, i didn't even have a shopping cart there and uh uh and then uh, i didn't have uh, the shipping label there so i had to buy lots of printers uh and i was using an Epson printer but it was not like a laser printer it was Anyway, uh, I would finish my job at 11 o'clock at 12 midnight and start at 6 a.m. in the morning. So it was, and I couldn't finish. And I thought, uh, I mean, I had, the, uh, that year I, I produced, I um, I made about 10,000 tins for hot chocolate and I thought I had enough. Then in uh, December 12, I ran out of, uh, of all the packaging. So anyway, it was a, a nightmare. It was a good nightmare, but uh, you need to be more prepared for that. Lessons learned. Um,
0: so you then decided in 2004 to open up a factory in Brooklyn. Can you talk a little bit about how you decided from a capacity perspective what that would look like? Uh,
1: it was not in Brooklyn. It was uh, actually near the store. Okay. Uh, um, it uh, was uh, 3,500 square feet. I put the equipment you know a part of the equipment just to make the ganache um i i, I didn't have a chef you know i either i make it myself or, or hire somebody and i didn't have much resources to for, to uh, to employ the expensive because the chefs are expensive. So,, uh, my sister, who is a nutritionist back in Honduras, she always wanted to be a confectioner or chocolatier, but my mother was always against it because uh, oh, you need you, you need to make more money you know it was. so I said, listen, do you want to try? And uh, so we went to do some training in uh, in in Paris, and then we also went to Barry Callebaut in Canada, we took some training. And then with that we we uh, we just started doing the, the the ganache only one product.
0: So you've got this one product; it's doing quite well. You've got the cocoa; it's doing yes. quite well. Now you have hundreds, or f- at least fifty SKUs, It looks like on your I website. have I
1: have about um, about two hundred SKUs, but but products uh, diversity is it's probably I have about fifty or 40. It's just different versions of the same SKUs. Yeah.
0: So when did you know it was the right time to kind of expand the product line? And what was the first one? Well, you, you know what? Uh,
1: um, I, I started making bars. Uh, after that, I started making bars. Um, I started sourcing my bars from actually from South America. They were sending me the bars. And in um, 2008, uh, after the crash, uh, that was another lesson to learn, because in my in my store you could never find products for five dollars or seven dollars. It was always higher than ten, and that's when I did I I said, okay, better start making different type of products, so it makes it more. Uh, people, you know, make it, uh, I want people to browse and, you know, and be able to afford whatever they want. So that's when I decided to do that. So
0: 2012, you make the decision to expand to Kyoto, of all places. Yes. (laughs) I'm assuming there's some correlation between that, or or maybe perhaps that's from your Shiseido experience, but can you Talk about the reasoning behind
1: that. No, it wasn't about uh, which uh, Since day one, I opened my my uh, my brand. I attracted a lot of uh, Japanese um, uh, clientele. I was even featured in the local newspaper of, uh, of you know of, uh, in New York uh, for my chocolates. So a lot of people were just coming. A lot of Japanese, and I think it was the presentation. Uh, Not, I think. I know it was because of the presentation. They would come not even to choose flavors, but to choose design one next to the other. I mean, this is how they would choose. So talk a little bit about the design of the actual chocolates. Yeah. The design, I started with uh, uh, 10 designs, which is my husband's uh, art. He's a painter. And um, so I started with those 10, which is mostly abstract. Then in 2002, 2002 I started, I, I said, you know, I need to, uh, to put more fashion uh, images. And so I, I, I know how to illustrate, but I didn't want my style. I wanted more like funny type of. Uh, so I went back to FIT and Parsons and put an ad and I, I actually hired someone who is a Japanese girl. And I started working with her, and we've been working together for sixteen years. So i have sort of like what I do. I, this is the this is the theme that I want. I uh, I'm sort of like the art director, color wise, and also uh, images style. And uh, and then I, and then what I do, uh, I take each design and. And, and, and write a poem, what is my inspiration for, for that? And then, so people are entertained before eating the chocolate.
0: Large focus on the experience of yes, the chocolate. Yes, that's right,
1: yes. So,
0: so you choose Kyoto over Tokyo. We'll talk a little bit about that choice.
1: It's just like I chose Lunette Chocolat to save the money. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, Kyoto is also the same story. Uh, Tokyo is very expensive. All the brands, all the European brands, are there. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, they've been there for for many years. I I was uh, the new kid in town and you know, to pay a rent of $25,000, $30,000 for a small shop, and it requires that you're going to sell a lot, you know, and having your next-door neighbors with the competition, you know, is, is scary. So um, Kyoto has been actually an um, a city that I, I been there before I opened my brand uh, in Japan, and it has been an amazing—I uh, love Kyoto. It's one of my favorite cities in the world— Uh, I think it's because of the, uh, it it has still the old architecture, the experience of the real Japan from before. Uh, You know, all the geishas, it's like another world. And also there is a lot of respect for food there and natural ingredients, everything. And and the Japanese, for the Japanese, uh, uh, they come there, they respect the, the, the food ingredients in Kyoto. So I said, you know, my product is is all natural, it's handmade, and, and it's beautiful. So I want to go alone, you know, my brand to become known as the food of Kyoto, you know, uh, riding in the same car. And um, so I, I had a lot of uh, advice not to do it there because, uh, you know, the market is in Tokyo, And 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 then I can I can go in Tokyo and and then go to Kyoto, then but the rents were like twenty five, like seventy five percent less than than (laughs) than uh, Tokyo, so um, we we did some local marketing along with local uh people uh, you know geishas and that's how we started our marketing in kyoto and actually kyoto was the best decision i i did because not only is it affordable but i became known uh, with all the japanese traveling to uh, to to kyoto during uh, um you know uh, holidays and uh, the brand has become very known in japan because of that
0: so you have multinational operations yes. now you also have an e-commerce site. Can you talk a little bit about the breakdown between e-commerce and retail, and maybe between retail in New York versus Tokyo and Dubai? I believe, you mean store. like uh,
1: uh, sales, sales-wise. Yes, sales-wise. Okay, um, Japan has become actually a bigger market for me because I have uh, I have it's going to be the fifth store we're opening in in, uh, in September, but right now we have four stores in my e-commerce. And uh, they don't do much wholesale; they do more co- uh, corporate. The stores are amazingly doing so well. You know, I mean, uh, I think uh, the uh, a store in, in 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 Japan to make three million dollars is 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 normal. You know, I mean. I mean, not everybody's doing that, but uh, but the, so so as a result, the retail market has become a lot bigger than me because I only have two stores. I do wholesale; they don't have that. So when we count from retail to to uh, New York and retail Japan, Japan is higher. The wholesale is bigger in for me. Than Japan, so I uh, I would say probably we're doing fifty fifty. That's so interesting. And then you opened a store in Dubai. Store in Dubai, I met actually the buyers in in uh, in Tokyo. They saw my stores, and that's how they became familiar with my brand. And uh, Dubai is um, uh, okay. Dubai is a very good market, but I feel that the 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 um, the passion of the partner. That you is has to do everything, you know, uh, because you. See, one time I uh, we we did a pop up shop in in Tokyo at a very known uh, department store that didn't have much experience in food. It w- it didn't do well because they'd. They, they only think about sales, they don't think about experience, and that ha- has a lot to do with, with the success of the brands. So in Dubai, you know, it's a, a big uh, corporation doing that, it's a British uh, company. Um, so it's okay, I'm not complaining, but it's not the same as, as Japan.
0: So there's definitely that same sensibility and focus yes, on the yes, experience yes, not just yes, the individual yes, product yes, but yeah. the whole purchase yes, funnel yeah. in Japan. So what is next?
1: Well, um I feel that um Japan is still virgin. We only have 5 stores and uh, I have to be very careful with uh with uh you know to expand a lot because you know the japanese market is all about destination you know so this is one of the reasons why i open cacao market so cacao market can we can Open more, and then Mary Bell, very very few, you know. So talk about cacao market. The first one is in Brooklyn, New York. No, the first one is in uh, was in in, in Kyoto, Kyoto too. Okay. Okay. Uh, in the Gion area. I don't okay. know if you've been in. in no. uh, okay, there is the touristic area, which is the tea houses and the geishas. That's where everybody goes when they come to Kyoto. We opened cacao market there. Okay. Okay, and then Mary Bell is in an area more like. Um, you know like fashion boutiques like madison let's say okay so different different markets different audience. yeah yes uh so uh so f- f- for me uh the 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 idea to have two brands is that i could go into bigger uh areas with with cacao market and less mary bell mary bell was focused only on certain areas like uh you know, affluent, elegant neighborhoods, you know, it's, a, it's about like 5% where uh, cacao market's probably like about 30,
0: 35%. Okay. And you do have a presence for that in Brooklyn.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Actually, right now we just closed because we're moving to the Navy Yard. Okay. And this is where we're going to to open our new facility there.
0: So how do you balance having two different brands and kind of allocate resources across both of those brands
1: well the, the cacao the chocolate is the same the packaging is different uh, the sourcing is the same um, the you know when cacao market is more about experience of uh, impulse buying not gifty buying so so you go there to buy a piece of bark. Uh, fruits dipped with chocolate, um, uh, nuts covered with chocolate. So more like a candy store. Uh, so, so uh, you know, and of course the same hot chocolate that is at Maribel, it's at the cacao market. Uh, so, you know, it can be handled because we're not really different products. Uh, it, can, it, it can make it difficult when you start making so much packaging. But, you know, the packaging is more a, a, like a little bag, plastic bag, you know. Uh, maybe we do an, uh, a um, a box, you know, with ganache, uh, but not really as designed as Bell, something like that.
0: Well, I have one final question, mm-hmm. which is the question I ask everyone. What is the one book that you would give as a gift this year or that you've given as a gift in the past?
1: I've given the gift of the, the book of uh, Steve Jobs. You know, I think it's uh, experience. I mean, there are a lot of things that I don't like, but there are a lot of things that that are good there's so many good things to learn there. And uh, this book, I, as an entrepreneur, especially to somebody who wants to do their own business, so that's a book that I always give.
0: Wonderful. Well, Maribel, ma- many thanks for coming and joining us today, both earlier at the School of Management and for this podcast. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.